Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Two managers widely regarded as the best face each other in the Premier League this weekend, Manchester City and Pep Guardiola taking on Liverpool, led by Jurgen Klopp. Who is the better manager? Are they just the right fit for their respective clubs? Meanwhile, Aston Villa boss Unai Emery, with multiple European trophies on his CV, takes on Graham Potter, who got the Chelsea job following his work at Brighton. How would you compare those two? Could you compare those two? Is it on trophies? Is it on overachievement? Or is it something else? I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. When I win a game and after I'm a failure when you lose a game. So I'm not a genius, honestly. For sure, the Premier League is one of the most difficult leagues in the world because five, six, seven clubs can, can be the champion. And um, at the end, only one is the champion. And all the other are disappointed, uh, live in the middle of a disaster or something. that person that's talking about process and, and a journey and not getting enough results in the short term. So it's just a balance, it's, but it has been all my career, it's always the same. You have to just take the steps in the right way, be yourself. Whatever the expectations are from outside, I can't control those. I want to, to improve here and I want to, to help with my experiences as a coach and my experiences I think uh, in Spain, in French, in Premier League, and uh, I played against uh, a lot of teams in, in the world. My dream is to win a trophy with, uh, with Aston Villa. It's uh, my personal challenge. So joining us for this one, the Athletics, Ollie Kay and Tim Spears. Tim, let me start with you. What makes a good manager? Well, I mean, you say manager, it's I mean, it's it, it's head coach really, you know, by its very nature. And, and I, yeah, think, sorry, I think that, yeah. that, that that's the point really that it's it's changed so much in recent years. Um, I was at Spurs v Milan recently, and um, with Jack Pitbrook and James Horncastle, and we all got very excited at halftime because we saw. Uh, Steve Cooper in attendance. The subject of Conte's future was rife at the time and Steve Cooper was was reportedly on a short or long list to replace him. And we all got very excited. It took us a good few minutes, Mark, to realise that Spurs were playing Nottingham Forest that weekend and Cooper was actually just scouting the next his next opposition. But that's so rare these days. And it's just I guess it's just one example of how, you know, a manager's or head coach's job has really changed you know you don't get them scouting players in person at all they're much less involved in in the recruitment process or contract negotiations you know that that just doesn't happen anymore some of them will have absolutely nothing to do with the under 23s or the academy setup again that was very different sort of 10 15 years ago our perception hasn't changed in terms of when results go wrong it's still all their fault and nobody else's 
which I think is something that as a game we sort of have to change that over time. In answer to your question, I think the basic principles do still remain in terms of obviously leadership, obviously you know communication, intelligence, trust, tactical astuteness, a lot of things they don't do anymore and then there are some things that they have to do more now which is in terms of managing personalities and egos of, of players who earn up to 20 million pounds a year you know that's that's something that's changed as well so but those basic principles still remain I think yeah I mean I can remember doing I say this quite often Ollie talking to Sean Dyche and spending time with Sean Dyche when he was still at Burnley and Dyche saying to me I am basically in charge of 25 chief executives of their own companies which even though therefore we assume that the majority of the modern day managers are coaches that there is still that element to it as well there is still a management element oh definitely i mean i mean it can be managing up managing down but as much as we as as fans and as journalists probably judge managers or coaches on what they do in the transfer market what what they visibly do on the touchline in terms of in-game management, substitutions, picking the right lineup, etc. Even the way they behave on the touchline. An awful lot of it is about managing the environment that they are in charge of. And generally, I mean, one, one thing that comes out about when, when managers leave, you, you hear about a negative mood, you hear about toxic, you hear about, you know, relationships with players breaking down, losing the dressing room, all of that. And I think it shows that a huge amount of the, that job is about how you how you manage that environment, how you keep you know twenty to twenty five first team squad players all pulling in the, the same direction, how you rotate the squad, how you make every day at training fun, how you make people you know fun but serious, and how you can kind of improve a team or keep them at a high level week in week out. Well, by keeping the mood high, keeping the professionalism focused, morale high. It's I, I think an awful lot of it is about management even before you get to the coaching part. You can be the best coach in the world and if you can't manage people and manage players, you, you're struggling. I mean, p- people used to talk about Andre Villas-Boas being technically a brilliant coach, but he went to Chelsea and, and, and found that you know he could not manage that dressing room at all. And I, I don't think he was ever a particularly good you know, certainly in those early days of his career, post Porto, Ch- Chelsea and at Tottenham, uh, I don't think he was ever a particularly good sort of people person. And I think you've got to be that as well as a technically brilliant coach. Although from the outside looking in at Guardiola and Klopp, Ollie, you would say that whilst they're both elite coaches, you, you'd say that Klopp strikes you as more of a people person than Guardiola, wouldn't you? I would, I would. Uh, Klopp seems exceptional in that regard, in terms of being the kind of guy who brings the positive energy, but brings the, you know, has everybody sort of ready to run through brick walls from. I, I, I interviewed Klopp when he was at Dortmund and came out of that interview after about an hour with him thinking, God, I just feel totally energized by an hour in his company. And if he does that for overweight, uh, middle-aged journalists. <laughs> had, it, had it been a long time since you previously felt <laughs> energized, Ollie? Uh, I'm only only a few years old. It <laughs> was unique the sort of charisma and energy that he yeah it, it was remarkable and I can you know when when you look at Liverpool how mood how low the mood was when he went there and I just felt immediately well I don't know whether he's going to win the league or or win win a trophy but he will just transform and energize and illuminate that club which he did 
sort of almost almost overnight, very very quickly. The Guardiola, yeah, he's more of a he's more of a technocrat. But then if you look at and you know he, he can sometimes come across as a bit of an oddball in some in some ways in his, his press conference. He has has a strange manner in the way he doesn't have doesn't have sort of props charm which he, Klopp can turn on a certain charm for the cameras not always there certainly but Klopp has that sort of charisma Guardiola has a, has a more has a sort of different energy about him but then you you watch the you know the all or nothing series you know where all the behind behind the scenes things dressing room and, and meeting rooms at, at City and although you know he, he talks up whatever 200 words a minute and it, it's all very very frantic but you can see it it's very it's very inspirational as well and uh, in it so i think although he's his strengths are perhaps different to Klopp's, i think they both have that incredibly positive energy whereas some great managers of the past you can look at them and think oh you know del bosco didn't really seem like a, a terribly energetic guy no <laughs> carlo Ancelotti doesn't sedan doesn't well paisley certainly didn't no, but interestingly, the majority, major, the majority of the ones that you mentioned or that Ollie mentioned there, Tim, maybe not Zidane, but they have um, it's like a, it's like a father figure role, isn't it? It's like a father figure role, or grandfather figure role, or a teacher role. I mean that that's what you're also looking for in all of this. And Guardiola may be more teacher, and Klopp may be more father like. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also it's not a one size fits all thing, you know, sir. It's about it's it's almost you've got to appoint the right style of manager for 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 the club at that particular time where that club is in its development or the Conte one I guess is something we're all thinking of at the moment but that just that was never going to work in, in in my opinion you know despite the fact that he's very successful and Spurs within within the right ingredients can be very successful as well but they were so they were so different for what each other needed at, at the time it doesn't make them doesn't make Conte any less successful a manager I'm sure he'll go on and do very well elsewhere. Um, and people will call it, you know, the Spurs curse or whatever. But when you've got um, a club like Spurs with its average age of signings of 23 and looking to the long term, and then you've got Conte, who's very good in certain circumstances. You know, he, he can he can set a team up brilliantly with with a stingy defence. And, you know, he's, he's a motivator and he, and he can win you a title, you know, through consistency, the same formation and repetition, you know, not so great in the Cups. And that's quite a short-term approach at, at, at like a high-level a high club. So... You know, for Spurs to go and appoint someone like that, you've got an awful lot of young players who need nurturing, and they're shopping in a different market to the top to the to the other clubs in the big six. I think that's a really good example of the right manager for the wrong club. That there are very different genres of, of of manager that are out there, but it's supporting the right genre for what your club needs at, at that time. The point about at that time is is all important. I mean, you can look at people could say Conte wasn't the right fit for Tottenham because Tottenham never win anything. I think if Conte say Pochettino had left in. 2018 or 2019, summer of 2019, and Conte had gone there then when I think the club was, you know, in a better state, less of a sort of rebuilding job needed at that time. I think maybe he would have found it more to his liking, whereas they've fallen away a bit over the past few years. If Conte had gone into Chelsea in the summer of 2019 when Frank Lampard did, and when all the emphasis was on rebuilding new players, transfer embargo, etc., I think Conte would have found Chelsea an awful lot less to his liking than he that he did when he went there in uh, 2016 not not that you know not that he underachieved at Chelsea by any means I mean, he did brilliantly because they they'd been mid table the previous season but that was a, that was a really experienced core group of players who had won the league 12 months before he came in so i think i think Conte is is brilliant possibly even unrivaled in that situation 
you, you look at how he hit the ground running in, in the Premier League more than Klopp, more than more than even Guardiola. It sounds so obvious, doesn't it? I mean, you know, when when you sit here and discuss it, that you have to get the right man at the at the right time for your club, and 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 Klopp was most Klopp was most definitely the right man at the right time. For, for Liverpool, I mean, if ever there was a perfect fit, it, it was that. And Manchester City had caught a Guardiola for for many years before they eventually put him in position. But you look at the majority of the big clubs around Europe, Tim, and and it is the same names in the frame for those big jobs, whether whether they'd be suitable or not. I mean, that that's the sort of I mean, that's the bizarre thing isn't it you know you can guarantee that if managerial vacancies come up for Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid at, at the same time then similar names will will be in the frame despite the fact they might need very different things yeah you're right and patience is not out there to, to to take a chance on on younger less proven managers a lot of these things come in cycles as well you know when you've got one manager who's just been sacked who maybe you know training was very laborious and sort of no days off and you know played the same players every week and stuck with underperforming players. And then the next guy comes in and, and makes training fun and gives them a few days off and gets rid of the of the bad apple who's been stinking the place out. You know, the, 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 there are very sort of quick fixes that can easily sort of get you on, you know, a, a role and, and, and a momentum and then, you know, you go with it. Certainly saw that, you know, at, at Wolves recently where Bruno Large was daily meetings sometimes two or three times a day in in a, in a big meeting room that he installed with like rows of rows of seats and like PowerPoint presentations and stuff. Well, the players loved it at first because they were getting so much detail. But then when results start to turn, they're like, you know, God, this is tedious. So the next guy comes in, gets rid of that and, and suddenly, do, do you know what I mean? Everything's better again. And, and you can apply that to tactics and, and, and selection and all sorts, really. Um, just the, the feel of the place. And I guess that's what we mean about, you know, right guy at the right time as well. We mentioned Guardiola and, and how... You know, how he's been the perfect fit for City, and and he came in at the perfect time. But I I actually think if 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 he had gone into Manchester City, even five years earlier, six years earlier, had he taken over from Mancini or even from Mark Hughes, I think he would have led City to far greater success in those years than than, than Mancini and, and and Pellegrini did. No, I wouldn't underestimate what they did, but I I just think he's he is. Such an outstanding coach. You can tell. You can look when you can see when his teams play that they are exceptionally well coached. One of the accusations these days is that oh, they almost look like they've been overcoached. There's no, they've got all these fair players, but there's not all that much spontaneity as they win six 0 and seven nil. I, I do think he's utterly outstanding. And when people say, "Well, could he do it with?" Stoke, could he do it with West Brom? Well, whatever, could he do it with Tranmere? Nobody's suggesting he would win the Premier League with the, with with those teams. But you know, the reason we'll never find out is because he is so outstanding that he will never be taking jobs sort of below the elite level. Why would he? Who, whoever does, who? Can you understand the question? Though? I can understand the question, but it's. I, I do think it's kind of irrelevant because he operates at such a high level that he will always be at such a high level. It's like you know asking whether a Hollywood producer would be able to you know produce a, a, a an amateur amateur dramatics player you know your local theatre. It, it's it's he is so utterly brilliant, and I think you know he, he had a season in charge of of Barcelona B. And led them to their first promotion in 
in years had a brilliant record there was developing young players that's why he got the the senior job i i think he's he's just so utterly outstanding and if you and if you did put let, let's say a, a club a club such as swansea that plays yeah that is renowned for playing position football in 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 the championship they've got really good coaching in russell martin really highly regarded but i've no doubt if you put guardiola in terms in, in charge of that team he would take them to a much higher level in terms of in, in terms of results might get them promoted or might then put them in, in, you know, in a solid position in, in in the Premier League. A lot of his extreme achievements in terms of the trophies, in terms of points, tallies, etc., are a reflection of working with truly elite players. But I do have little doubt that if you put him in charge of a group of players, or gave him, a, you know, or gave him a year to to build a squad of players on a budget that could play his his type of football, he would deliver better results than. Ninety-nine point nine percent. You you then flip it the other way around, though, don't you, Tim? And then questions are immediately asked when managers take a step up. We're seeing it with Graham Potter at the moment. You could argue the same thing happened to Nuno when he when he went to to Tottenham. Certainly, David Moyes at Manchester United to go to go way back. Things get flipped the other way, don't they? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, certainly Nuno's example. You know, he really struggled to manage top-level players who he struggled to sort of command their respect and uh, exert his authority and couldn't relate to them on their phones all the time. And and, and he was just like, yeah, again, just, just couldn't seem to manage them, basically. Um, and he, I think he was a bit sort of bereft at what top-level players are actually sort of like and how you can struggle to forge that connection with them. And that connection is so important. And, you know, with the fans as well, and maybe it's a flippant thing to say, but, you know... I, I really do believe there's something in that and, and Potter's struggling to create that connection at, at the moment, or he has anyway. It's not always about results. If the fans aren't having you, you know, you you, you won't last. Well, once things, once you go through a, a tough spell. I remember in 2016-17, Wolves had two managers who both failed and both had half a season and one is remembered far more fondly than, than the other. They were Walter Zenger and Paul Lambert, who literally just couldn't be any more different. You know, I know them both quite well and still still speak to them occasionally. And they're extremely different characters. You know, Zenger was just mental. Like, honestly, I, I'd tell that to his face. He's crazy. He was like, so he was like an extrovert who would jump up and down and be a real character on the touchline. But he was also quite endearing. And Lambert was much more sort of dignified, and and he, and he moaned a bit and, and he actually moaned about Zenger and I think fans were like, well, you know, you're not doing much better yourself, mate, so maybe keep it shut. And they both had very similar results. Zenger was sacked in 18th and Lambert was sacked in, in 15th. But the popularity amongst them was so different. Zenger was much more likeable. And I remember speaking to Nuno not long after he'd been appointed at Wolves and he was sort of concerned that with the new style of possession-based football he was enlisting, the Wolves fans might not have him, and that if he was taking a while to sort of generate results, it might it might increase the pressure early on, and that's something he was he was sort of concerned about. And I remember explaining to him the Zenga the Zenga Lambert sort of differences in popularity, despite Zenga being a vastly inferior manager in my opinion, and that after Zenga's fourth game in charge, he was on his knees in front of the away end at St Andrews, bowing down to the fans, and they loved him for it. And I, I remember saying to him, a, a very simple gesture like going on the pitch at full time and, and clapping the fans really goes a long way, and that can really hold you in good stead. And he was known for being sort of cold and emotionless at Porto at his previous job, and he was like, I've never really done that, to be honest. But he, he sort of taught himself and forced himself to do it. That evolved into Klopp-style fist bumps. And y yes, results went very well, but but I, I do think that's a part of it because it, it gives you 
breathing room and a bit of time to do what you want to do? I don't think, or not clubs, but people who make these appointments think about that enough, Ollie, to be honest with you. And you sort of look at maybe a list of who could be linked with a job and you think, well, if you go with person X... You, the fans are going to be the the fans are going to be on your back before you've even. I mean, look at Nathan Jones at Southampton. You know, actually, look at Ralph Hasenhutter when he took over at Southampton. Immediately connected with the fans off the back of Mark Hughes. You could argue Unai Emery's connected with the Villa fans perfectly. It was exactly what Villa needed and what the fans wanted, and and so on and and so forth. It's not necessarily about the individual. It's about the actual individual and the relationship with the club the one that sprung to mind as you were saying that just now Mark, was uh, was Rafa Benitez at Everton where, yeah. where, where people people within the Everton hierarchy uh, Marcel Brands famously warned that, that this isn't going to work it, it, uh, I don't think it was just about the Liverpool connections but I, I think it was it was sort of personality and, and character and background and, and, and so on and Benitez went to Everton look ultra professional works works incredibly hard for his club you know certainly had no Liverpool allegiance when he was managing Everton. But the baggage of... I mean, look, he was going into a club that was pretty much doomed to struggle that season. They'd not been able to spend anything really in the summer. They, they, you know, The mood was pretty negative. I think it would have been the case almost whoever had gone in. And, and I shouldn't tell you, you know, they, they didn't need somebody to organise, which is what Peters is incredibly good at. They needed someone to energise the club. The way, for example, they, David Moyes did that brilliantly when it when he went there yeah. in 2002. But Benitez went there and seemed, I don't know, seemed sort of self-conscious of his body language, seemed to be very aware of the the sort of negativity around, uh, around or towards him. I don't think he did anything out of turn in terms of his, his, his relation, you know, the way he interacted with the fans. I don't think the fans could be blamed for anything. I think the fans were trying to be as open-minded as possible, but results were results after a good start, went very, very bad. And inevit- you know, inevitably came to the point where with things going badly behind the scenes as well, he was sacked. And and I think one of the things they looked for in his successor, Lampard, was somebody that would connect with the fans and somebody that would that would energise the place and, and lift it. And I, I think it didn't last long for Lampard, but I think he did that part very well. And I don't think Everton would have stayed up without recreating that connection with the fans, even if it proved to be a very short-term thing. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. 
And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athletic football. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash athletic football with no spaces. It also feels like image has become such an important thing, like literally to, to the extent of what they may wear <laughs> and then how well, they're yeah. and how and yeah. how they're perceived. So, you know, you look at Unai Emery and his record that, and you may not want to talk about this, Tim, particularly from a with a with a wolves hat on, but you look at Unai Emery and what he has done at Villa, and indeed what he has done at other clubs as well, Sevilla and Villarreal, and yet Certainly in this country, because of his image, I would argue, he doesn't get anywhere near the attention and the respect that he probably should do. Yeah, you're right. And that comes from, you know, his spell at Arsenal. And, you know, he, he was a figure of fun on Twitter. And, you know, club, clubs do look at this stuff. I think it's insane. But you do get you do get chairman on, on Twitter judging judging the reaction of, of replies to club tweets. Which is bonkers because I, I mean, I, I, I completely ignore it. I think it's a lot of it's irrelevant, and yet you've got people running football clubs who put a lot of sway into that sort of public mood. And yeah, you're you're absolutely right about appearance and being the face of it and the media game. I remember Arsenal turning their nose up at Nuno because you know his his media relations were absolutely abysmal, and they were like, he can't be the face of this global brand because that's what it is as well. It's not just eleven players on a, on a pitch; they have got to answer to everything. I remember Conte moaning a lot recently about how he has to answer for for absolutely everything at the club, be that decisions that Levy makes or decisions that Fabio Paratici makes. And he was like, you know, in Italy, uh, the director of football, directors of football uh, hold press conferences and, and 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 have to speak at certain clubs before and after games. But here, that's very that's very different. You know, they can they can hide. I would definitely bring that definitely, in here. 100%. I would definitely bring that in here to help, particularly to help these guys who are sometimes doing. I would I would reckon fifteen interviews a week. Some of them, the top ones, when you take in press conferences, post match, TV, radio, newspapers. I mean, it's bloody stupid. I'm not sure the general public has any idea of the media demands that that are put on on head coaches, foreign broadcasters. Foreign broadcasters before and after every game, be that an EFL Cup tie against against Grimsby or a Champions League tie, yeah, written press, radios, TV, club media, and it's all on one man. It's insane, you know. And it's not a, it's not a small part of the job, and it, and it's something you've got to be good at. I think that's never going to change. I don't think anytime soon, but it's certainly something that should. I agree, Mark. The cult of the manager in English football is is enormous. You could say it dates back to. You know, Mourinho and Ferguson and Wenger and that sort of very visual Premier League, you know, Premier League years. But you know, even even you go back to the the sixties and seventies, and there's very a great focus on Shankly and Busby and Clough and Malcolm Allison and all all these all these great managers, Bill Nicholson, Bertie Mee, and it's it's there's always been an intense focus. But they only had to talk to like they only they didn't do press conferences, did they? They did they sort of you know did. A post-match interview on a on the they did, probably didn't do pre-match interviews actually they'd do a quick post-match interview on the pitch, wouldn't they? And then a, and then a little huddle with with some journalists sometimes yeah. on the bus yeah, yeah. on the way back with a pint. <laughs> oh yeah, in the pub, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the yeah, glory so, days, oh, the glory <laughs> days. But but the serious point is, for for all it was, Malcolm Allison or Clough or whatever, it was they were that the demands the demands on them were were 
by no means the same. When Eddie Howe went to Newcastle, and even when he was going to go to Celtic uh, in the summer of 20, 2021, it was, there was a lot of talk of whether the sort of size of the club and the sort of goldfish bowl aspect of both of those clubs would be would be what made it you know, a struggle for him. And whether whether sort of personality wise he was he was able to be that sort of beacon talisman type figure that those particular clubs with those particular fan bases would would desperately need him to be. I remember Jamie Carragher once saying to me about Roy Hodgson, you know, his tactics weren't that that different to Rafa Benitez's at Liverpool, but personality wise he was just completely wrong for Liverpool. He he never he never seem to realise that everything he said would be scrutinised by a by a fan base that that, that were sceptical about it. Go back to Eddie Howe. I think probably been a concern that Everton had about him at one stage when they were thinking about him. Arsenal had about him at one stage when they were thinking about him. Thinking, you know, is he is he big enough personality wise? Tottenham as well. Is he big enough personality wise to be able to be the the sort of voice of this club, facing this club? I think it's shown at Newcastle. He definitely is. And he's had to ask, you know, he's been faced with some very, very, very uncomfortable questions, rightly, about that regime. And nobody else at the club has been able to take the heat off him in that regard. I don't think he's answered those questions adequately, but I think maybe the best thing for Newcastle is is if he sort of ducks them slightly, as unsatisfying as it might be for us in the media. And I think he's shown he has got the personality to, to, to handle that. Whether he's got enough to take Newcastle the extra mile and and then be the manager that leads them to trophies or to advanced stages in the knockout stages or uh, not uh, the Champions League or challenging for the league or whatever I don't know but I think he's shown he is a manager capable of managing a, a big and very ambitious club as well as a small one which is really interesting on a final point and, and it kind of brings us back to to Tottenham and it but it also brings us to cyclical things and fashion and being in the moment and so on and so forth. Eddie Howe at Newcastle, Tim, appears to be forgotten because of Graham Potter at Chelsea in any discussion about who a new manager at Tottenham might be. Right? Mm. So Graham Potter struggles at Chelsea, even though it's a completely different situation to the one that Tottenham are in, is seen as... Or would they really look at Deserby or Thomas Frank or Marco Silva, right? Because promoting from within the Premier League, i.e. going up the su- supposed chain, well, it's not really working for Chelsea and Graham Potter at the moment, so is that a risk? Ignoring, ignoring the fact his end at Bournemouth wasn't great, was it? That seems to be doing a very good job at, at Newcastle. It's amazing how the debate is framed in the moment. It always comes back to Tottenham, doesn't it, Mark? Um, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know if, if if chairman and owners have these discussions as well. Because you, you're right, that's how it's framed and that's the narrative, you know, sort of media-wise and among supporters. I, I genuinely do not know why Tottenham would not go for a manager. Well, like, like many you've just mentioned there. I was talking to someone uh, before Spurs Wolves recently and they said, Lopetegui would be a great fit for Spurs. He's managed at the top level, he's won, he's won trophies. Uh, he's tactically very astute. Uh, he's very personable. He's been very successful. You know, why on earth would Tottenham not not hire him? But I guess because he's maybe because he's uh, of his failures, his failures at Real Madrid, or you know, he's a little bit older. Whereas actually, he'd he'd be a very very good fit. I mean, really, we should get Daniel Levy on to 
to, to ask why. But but there comes back to a wider point about never hearing about you know the the accountability or the reasoning behind these these decisions because um, yeah they're the ones that make them. I think unless somebody's an A list manager, people always want to find reasons why this isn't a good idea. Uh, and sometimes even when somebody is an A list manager, like you know. There were question marks about Mourinho and Conte when when they went to to Tottenham about whether it was the right fit. There seems to be caveats for, for praise for so many managers. I've, I've even heard people sort of you know I, I've highlighted the difference between what Arsenal, uh, what Arteta has done at Arsenal, what Conte did at Tottenham. One went wanted to sort of do everything within twelve eighteen months. The other wanted to build and, and take two steps back to take five steps forward which is what they've done really even now you'll get people say well the only thing that's changed with Arsenal is is that they've started spending money on Zinchenko and Jesus and Partey and you think God have you looked at the way they play have you looked at how well coached they are have you looked at the mood the change in mood the change in personality in that team and that like Klopp's Liverpool of when they were on the up four or five years ago exceptionally well coached and well managed team and to be you know to be that of course, you have to be a good manager and coach. And that brings us full circle. Uh, so we will leave it there. Uh, Tim, Ollie, thank you both. You can subscribe to The Athletic now for just a pound a month for 12 months by going to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.